I, I start by asking this question, and I don't want you to say anything out loud, right? This is a, a rhetorical thought process question. Who is the wealthiest person you know? Right? Just think about that person. Who's the wealthiest person you know? And now I want you to put a dollar amount with that person, right? What's, what's that amount? Just don't, don't say that either, right? Just kind of keep that to yourself, okay? And while you're thinking about that person and that amount, I want to talk to you about a guy by the name of Bill. Now, you should know that uh, when I say Bill, that, that Bill and I are, are not friends. Uh, we've never been friends. We will never be friends. He doesn't know I exist. I doubt we will ever meet. Uh, it's one of those things where I know him, about him at least, but he knows nothing about me. The thing about it is, you probably know about Bill as well. For the past several years, Bill Gates has either been at the top or near the top of the wealthiest people in the world, right? According to investopedia.com, he has a net worth of $106.7 billion, that's with a B, billion dollars. It's calculated that if Bill Gates stopped making money right now, right, zero dollars from this point forward, that he could spend $6 million a day for the next 49 years. At that point, he'd be 113 years old. So think about that. $6 million a day, every day. Anybody see the movie Brewster's Million back when that came out? Yeah, think about $6 million. It's just hard to even fathom. It might be fun for a day or two, but that'd be a lot of responsibility to try to spend $6 million a day. Uh, and, and so uh, here's, here's another fact. If Bill decided to give everyone on earth $10 tomorrow, he would still be worth $28.7 billion. If everyone alive on earth was given $10, it's just hard for me to fathom. If we take uh, the, the people that we thought of earlier collectively and all of that dollar amounts and we combine all of those together, it's probably not even a blip on the radar of $106.7 billion, right? It no, it'd be nothing, right? The interesting thing about Bill is that not only is he one of the wealthiest people in the world on earth, but he and his wife are also some of the most generous. They've given away in excess of 50 billion, with a B, 50 billion dollars to various charities, including the charity that he and his wife founded to seek to eradicate certain diseases on earth via vaccinations as well as other things. It's staggering for me to think about that he has already given away far more than what all of us will make in our entire lifetime, right? He's already given that away. And the reason I share all of that information is because of this. As staggering as his wealth is, that $106.7 billion, all that he's given away and all that he will continue, because every second he's making thousands of dollars, right? Compared to the wealth of God, Bill Gates has nothing. Because everything and all has all been created and given by God. His generosity is, by all accounts, very impressive, but when you compare it to the generosity of God, Bill Gates suddenly looks like Ebenezer Scrooge. He's given away nothing. Colossians chapter 1, verse 16 says, For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. 
the idea is that all we have and all that we enjoy in our life, all of it, regardless of where and when we are alive, it's all been given to us by God. When we look at the generosity of God, we begin to catch a glimpse of the character of God. We, we catch a glimpse of his nature. When God created all things, he demonstrated his generosity, his, his desire for us to celebrate life because of him, because of his generosity reflected in our lives. One of the issues that we face uh, when we think about God's generosity is, is that recognizing God's generosity in our life is not typically our default position, is it? I'll just be transparent. At least it's not for me, okay? Instead of seeing all that God has already given to me, oftentimes my focus is on what I don't have. Those things that, that I want, the things that I feel like I need, and even those things that I feel like I deserve. Anybody else there with me? You don't have to really raise your hand. Just think about that. Instead of rejoicing in what we already have, we often focus on what we think we should have, what, what we did not receive that we thought we should receive, the things that didn't go our way, the things that didn't work out the way we wanted, and we tend to ignore all of those things that God has already given to us and the good things that we already have in life. And that's not always true. That may not be true for you. But it seems to be the norm. It seems to be the way we typically operate. So this morning, uh, I relay a, a perspective shared by others that will hopefully help us in providing an opportunity to evaluate, to consider how we should respond to God's generosity, to look at how generous God is, and then what do we do as a result of that. I share three ways to acknowledge the generosity of God. First, uh, we see that God is generous because God gave us Jesus. In the text I'd ask you to turn to, John 3, verses 16 and 17, you know it, right? We see God's love demonstrated as he gave us Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but shall have eternal life. Verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. God, in his generosity, he gave us Jesus. And he gave us Jesus in spite of the fact that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You and me and all of us, we are sinners and undeserving of God giving us Jesus. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. One of the amazing things about God's generosity is that it's directed toward us. It's directed toward those who stand in opposition to him. You and me, as, as sinners, we are opposed to God. To my knowledge, there's, there's one place that I, I do not think Bill Gates has ever given his money. He's never been generous, and he probably never will be. Do you know who that would be directed not toward? Apple. Right? Bill Gates is not just going to start giving money to Apple, right? What makes God so amazing and his generosity so amazing is that he didn't condemn us. Instead, in his generous love, he sent us Jesus. Scripture teaches us that we are incapable of keeping the law. We cannot be good enough or do enough good or have our good outweigh our bad or any of that stuff. It's not a checklist we can complete. It's not something we can accomplish. It's not something we can do. In fact, Romans chapter eight, verses three and four says, for what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, 
God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. The requirements of the law are fulfilled in us, not by us, by Jesus, but in us because God generously sent Jesus for us. The second way we see God's generosity is how Jesus gave of himself. God sent Jesus, but Jesus gave of himself. I think it's really important for us to remember that Jesus willingly laid down his life because of his love for us as well. Yes, he was betrayed, he was arrested, he went through a mockery of a trial, he was crucified all by humans, yes, but the reason this was possible was because Jesus willingly gave of himself. And as such, he demonstrated his generous love for you, for me, and for all of us. In John chapter 10, verse 18, uh, Jesus said, no one takes it from me, talking about his life, no one takes my life from me, he says, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. Jesus willingly obeyed his father. The reality is really striking when you think about it, that if Jesus had desired, things could have gone much differently than they did. The account of what we have could be so much different if Jesus hadn't been willingly willing to give of himself. When Jesus was arrested in the garden, uh, what happened? If you remember the account, Peter drew his sword and he was ready to fight, right? And Jesus was like, hey, wait. He says in Matthew 26, do you not think, do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? Jesus could have taken and conquered by force, but instead he gave. He willingly, generously gave his life for us. Another way we see the, how generous God is and his generosity is through the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit gives us gifts. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses four through seven says, there are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit is the source of all of them. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it's the same God who does the work in all of us. The spiritual gift is given to each of us so that we can help each other. I heard this concept best described like this, a twofold thing. First of all, God redeems your intuitive gifts. And the second part of that is where God empowers you with gifts through the Holy Spirit. The idea is that each and every one of us are born with things that we are naturally good at doing, right? personality traits that, that we just have. They, they were just a part of who we are. For me, I don't remember anyone ever teaching me to be organized and detail-oriented, right? Some people are OCD. I'm CDO because CDO is the right order to put the letters in, right? No one taught me to do that, right? It's just no one taught me to listen to that, that constant voice that's in my head, no one taught me the value of being loyal. These were things that they're just kind of a part of who I am. But when I became a believer, God began to redeem those things. And he's been redeeming those things and using them to, to guide me to desire uh, my, um, to use my desire for organization and for details to provide structure for ministries. Throughout the years, that voice has, has guided me down a path to, toward God to, to honor him, to be loyal to him and to his people. God also empowers me with gifts through the Holy Spirit. Uh, on my own, and those of you who know me, 
know that, that on my own, I have very little patience and I'm not very compassionate. <laughs> but with the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit working within me, I'm able to demonstrate those gifts. It's one of the ways for me that I'm able to kind of measure my spiritual health. If I'm doing well, I'm patient. When I'm not doing well, I don't care, right? God has given us these things and he's working in us so that we can use those gifts for his glory and for his benefit. Through, through these gifts that God has given, I'm able to, to do what God has called me to do and, and he does the same for you as well. One author said it like this, I've been uniquely wired and uniquely gifted and uniquely placed just like you. But God has brought us together because I need you and you need me and we're going to be in this place better together than we could ever be apart. We all get to serve him. If God, either through the Holy Spirit, has redeemed or given you the gift of, of hospitality or encouragement or prayer or service or giving or teaching or mercy or wisdom or whatever it is, regardless of whether it's how you're wired or how you're gifted, you are an important part of the whole. Scripture describes that we as, as his people are a body. We are, we're not all the same. We have different gifts and different abilities and we do different things, but we all are called to work together, which is why each individual is important. You see, I believe that God in his generosity has given you and he's given me, he's, he's given us as individuals and as a body of believers all that we need in order to bring him glory and in order to further his kingdom which is why each and every one of us, we are an important part of what God is striving to do. We need each other. As we strive to help people discover and experience the life-changing love of Christ, we see that God redeems our abilities. And through the Holy Spirit, he gives us gifts to serve him. And in these three areas of God giving us Jesus, of, of Jesus giving of himself, and the Holy Spirit giving us gifts, along with a lot of other areas and things in which we can see God being generous to us that we don't have time to explore, we see the love and the grace and the generosity that God has shown us. And so how do we respond to his generosity? Well, I would suggest that there are some ways that we can do that. I, and the key way, I think, uh, for the, the sake of our conversation this morning, is to respond to him by striving to be like him. Specifically, we in turn can respond to his generosity with generosity. And, and I want to share four things that in my reading I discovered the generosity produces. Four ways in which as we respond with generosity, we can grow in our faith and in our relationship with the Lord as we are generous because God is generous. First, we see that generosity produces greater contentment. Not contemptment, but contentment, all right? It's been said that the secret to life is being content. In the words of the great lyricist Sheryl Crow, it's not having what you want, it's wanting what you've got. Anybody know the next line? I'm gonna soak up the sun, right? You don't want me to sing, that's why I do this and not earlier, right? I agree, right, with that being true, that it's not having what you want, it's, it's wanting what you've got, but I think there's more to it than that. Paul said to Timothy, he said this, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Biblical contentment is found in striving to be like Christ. 
You can find true contentment only in Christ, in striving to serve him. Contentment can't be found in people, in possessions, or or money. In fact, often those things hinder our pursuit for happiness and for contentment. One author said this about a contented person, that a contented person will hate greed, they will be satisfied with whatever they have, they are usually humble and do not brag with whatever they have, they shun evil and practice generosity. For me, I see that as we generously give of all that we have and all that we are, we begin to realize that it's all really God's to begin with, that we are just the caretaker. And as I trust that God is in control, I can be content with where God has me, where God has me, and how God has me. But that's not always easy, is it? There are times that that I'm not content. And yet finding contentment in life is often found as we are generous with that which we have, those things to which we have been entrusted. We have been called to respond to generosity with generosity, and one of the benefits of that is greater contentment. Second thing we see our generosity producing is a greater love for the kingdom of God. There's an interesting thing that happens as you begin to give. And it doesn't matter if you're giving of your time, your gifts, your talents, your money, your resources, your attention, whatever it is that you are giving to, it causes you to love more, to take a vested interest more in that in which you are giving to. Does that make sense? We love that which we give to. I know that it's been true for me. Um, Up until about a year ago, I really hadn't given Eastern University much thought right? But since my daughter started attending there, now it receives my attention. It receives my thoughts. And over the next however many years, most of my money, right? It's just where it's going to go. But because of that, I care about the security on campus. I care about the food in the cafeteria. I want the professors to be of high quality and, and people of character, And as we give and they take and however you want to look at that, our interest, our attention to that institution, our love for that place, it grows. The same is true when it comes to investing in God's kingdom. As you respond by generously giving to the opportunities God presents to you, you fall more in love with what is happening. Your interest goes there. As a church, you know, at the end of last year, we were made aware of the need for bicycles in Honduras. And as such, we responded to that opportunity to give by being very generous. And you know what's happened? Not only did we give a lot in that, but but here's the amazing thing. And here's, here's the beautiful thing that's begun to happen. As a result of that, over the last couple of months, more people have asked, more people have expressed an interest, more people have asked how they could pray for Honduras. In fact, more people are even interested and are going to go on this next trip to Honduras in March. Why? Because we have a greater love for that which we invest in, to where we give. Jesus told us this would be the case. As recorded for us in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So what do you love? What takes your attention? What what has your interest? That's where you're giving. And if you want to love something, invest in it. We can respond with generosity and give in all areas of life and have a greater love for the kingdom of God and, and his purposes here. Third, generosity produces a greater clarity of purpose. 
Uh, when we're generous, not only does it have the obvious benefit of helping to those to whom we are, are generous, right? But according to uh, Forbes.com, it is one of the most therapeutic things we can do for ourselves. And so maybe if for no other reason, what's in it for you, right? Being generous uh, is good for you. Gandhi is quoted as saying, the best way to find yourself is to lose yourself in service to others. Later on in that same Forbes article, it said being a part of something larger might be one of the best things we can do both for others and for ourselves. As we are generous, it helps us clarify what is important what is significant and what truly makes a difference. It helps clarify our direction. It helps clarify our purpose. Why? Because that's where our attention is. That's where our love is. Fourth, generosity produces a loving heart. Uh, J.D. Greer said, stinginess shrinks your heart. It breeds isolation. Giving opens you up, and an open heart is a much happier And I would suggest a more loving heart. In a study at Harvard Business School, Professor Michael Norton found that giving money or being generous to someone else or something else lifted participants' happiness more than keeping what they had for themselves. Most of the time, when we think about what it means for us to to give, often we think about, as we are thinking about being generous, we focus on what God wants from us instead of on what God wants for us. As we emulate God, we take advantage of the opportunities to respond to God's generosity with generosity. What is it that God wants for us? I would suggest that God desires for us to experience the joy of giving, the joy of responding to his love with generous love. Too often we think about what we have to give up, But what if instead we started thinking about what God wants us to gain through being generous, to gain that greater sense of contentment, to to gain a greater love for his kingdom, for the church, for his purpose, and for his mission, to gain a greater clarity of our purpose, to, to gain a loving heart that responds with joy and doesn't respond with fear. The challenge for each and every one of us is to consider whether or not we are living generous lives. With all that God has given us, Are we holding on to it tightly so that we don't lose it? Or are we holding it with an open hand? An open hand where, where yes, things can be removed as we generously give, but God can also place things in our hands. You see, I believe that as we give, God gives back to us in abundance. And no, that doesn't mean that as we give financially that our bank accounts are suddenly going to be full to overflowing. But I do believe it means that our hearts and our lives can be full of all the things that God desires for us to have, full of that which will last beyond this life and will blend into life eternal because this is not just a financial issue. This is a life issue. How do we respond to God's generosity with the things in our life, our time, our effort, our resources, our thoughts, what we do and who we are? Do we respond with generosity? Let's pray together this morning. God, I I thank you that you're generous to us. I thank you for Jesus. Jesus, I thank you that you willingly went to the cross to demonstrate your love for us. I thank you, Father, that, that through your Holy Spirit, you're working in us and through us as individuals and as a body of believers so that, so that we can, can work together to further your kingdom.
God, I pray that, that we would see your generous love, that we would see how generous you have been to us and that we would be generous to you and to others in return. Father, we, we know that all of this is possible because of you, that you are the author and the perfecter. We love you, Father. We thank you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.